welcome to Inside the Helix, a podcast presentation from DNA Genetics. Throughout this series, we focus on all things that matter to the pork industry. You'll hear from our award-winning team of geneticists, veterinarians, animal care providers, nutritionists, and other industry-leading experts. We'll explore pig production from genetic improvement all the way to meat quality. Listen along as we take a deep dive inside the DNA Helix. Today we're going to spend some time talking about why we should weigh our guilt. My guest is Brady McNeil. Brady is our multiplication business lead here with DNA Genetics. Thanks for joining us today, Brady. Hey, Curtis. Glad to be here. Brady, we talk about weighing guilt a lot. Why is this so important? And I guess, why are we really discussing this issue today? Yeah, so weighing guilt, and we, we've talked about some of the other items that we will discuss on tech service visits. Paul Ferris gave a great review of you know how to prepare for that that visit. But as we are getting prepped and as we're doing these walkthroughs, one of the things we will do is we'll go ahead and look through your benchmarking data, look through those those performance monitors. And from that, we can make a couple assumptions. Now, we have to go to the farm and see what's actually happening. But usually we can say, we think maybe your body condition score is off. Maybe your lactation feed intake is off. Maybe you're not getting your gilts big enough or you're getting them too big. These are all things that we can just kind of take an initial look at your data and say, we think this is where we're going to focus our efforts when we do those walkthroughs. And so weighing gilts really comes into play because that's one of the main items that we're going to be focusing on in these tech service walkthroughs. One of the things we like to see as we're looking at those performance monitors that I talked about is a one to a one and a half pig jump as we're looking at P1 total born to P2 total born. And so our P1s, we really want to see at 15, 15, 5 from a total born perspective. And P2s, we're looking at a 16 to 16.5. If we're able to accomplish that, we got really good guilt development going on. And one of the, the key principles of guilt development is mating the guilts at the right weight. Yeah, absolutely. And let's dive into the methods then. What are some of the different ways to measure size in our guilts? Yeah, that's a great question, Curtis. And I, I really appreciate you saying size because... I like to refer to the, the weight because I want to scale gilts. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about why, but a lot of the other methods out there truly are just a, a measure of their size and, and maybe from a accuracy perspective, aren't quite as good as what a scale will be. And so the first and best item is truly just to have a scale in the farm. Now, I know there'll be a lot of pushback on that and that's something we always get a lot of pushback on. But as we talk through some of the, the reasons, hopefully, you know, you kind of think, okay, there's a reason that we're talking about this. There's a reason that we really recommend putting a scale in those farms. Another one, and this is industry uh, very common, would be flank to flank measures, where you take a tape and you measure from one flank to the other. Now, this has been around for a long time and it has served its purpose. And in some situations, it can kind of give you that ballpark. The problem is it's not very accurate. You can have over 40 pounds of variation one way or the other. And so if you're really wanting to mate that female at 300 to 320 pounds, you could actually be breeding some 300 or some 280 pound gilts. And I'll talk about how that's a potential problem here in just a little bit. The other one that as we've seen some different trials comparing the different ways to measure size in females, heart girth is actually one that, that can be a little bit more accurate just a little bit more challenging to go ahead and implement. And you have to have the right type of uh, an accessory to measure that heart girth uh, when those gilts are installs. And the other one that, you know, everybody just kind of says is, oh, we just, you know, use age as a proxy. They're 28 weeks of age, so they're 280 pounds. And on average, that works. The problem is 
biology has a lot of natural variation that exists. And if we just use the average, we're going to be way off as we start looking at the tails of that distribution. Yeah, so then let's dive into the, the question that we're really focused on today is why should we do this? Why should we weigh our gilts? That is a great question. And there's multiple reasons why we should go ahead and weigh our gilts. The first one is going to be to maximize our bore exposure program. And we talked about the keys to good gilt development. One of them is going to be the size of those females. The other one is going to be bore exposure. And so to implement a correct bore exposure program, we need to have an idea of what the size of those females truly is. Otherwise, we could go ahead and start breeding some females that you know are just too small or too big. If we can get a good size estimate on those females, we can move them into that estrus zone. Or we can move them into that area where those bores will start detecting heat. Uh, and this is assuming that we have a GDU where we're going to scale them. And then we'll move them into an area where the bores are. Now, there's some other groups where you'll start bore exposure by a certain age. And then you need to get a weight to determine when are they eligible to actually be bred. So with assuming we're going to move them out and expose them to those bores, if we can get them in front of bores in that you know, 260 pound range, most of the F1 females on average will cycle between 260 and 280. And so if we can start bore exposure in that 240, 250 pound range, they'll cycle on that 260 to 280 pound range. We'll wait 21 days. We'll get an HNS and then we'll breed them right above 300 pounds. And that's really what the, the goal of a, a good bore exposure program, a good guilt development program is to get an HNS and to breed those females just above 300 pounds. Part of the reason why we want to go above 300 pounds, if we start breeding below that threshold, we're going to see an increased in fallout rate in the conception rate. So a higher percentage just won't breed. And then a higher percentage that do conceive will fail to Pharaoh. The other thing is we do see a reduction in total born. And then we've, we've a lot of people, as you're walking through farms, you'll see those gilts that they're, they enter farrowing and they just look small and they don't eat well and they come out and they just have a really hard time breeding back. And so by breeding those small gilts, you're also hurting yourself on that subsequent litter size because you just can't quite get the feed intake into those females and get them to come out in as good a condition as what you'd like. The other end of the spectrum. So talked about why we don't want to go below 300. We also don't want to go above that 350, 360 pound threshold. What this does is it really reduces your lifetime productivity. Those females that you breed at a heavier weight start to fall out sooner and just for more reasons. You put more weight on the same frame. It's more stress on the joints, uh, more stress on the feet and legs, just more issues all the way around. And from looking at some of these data sets, if you can breed a female at 300 versus 370 pounds, you will increase her lifetime productivity by seven pigs. Mm. Uh, and so you're over a pig a litter uh, of increased productivity by breeding her at 300 versus 370. Now that's not saying that total born on her first litter is going to be higher. That's on average. And really where a lot of that advantage comes from is those females stay in the herd longer. So you're able to get an extra litter out of them. And that's where those seven pigs really come from. But we would know that the heavier breed of guilt, typically the more total born she will see on that first litter. So you're giving up a little bit of total born on that first litter to capture it on just total lifetime productivity. The other thing that comes in, and this is critical as we start thinking about input costs. I know corn's come down here recently, but as we're looking at ways to, to reduce our, our costs uh, and our, our maintenance requirements of these females, if we can breed a female at 300 versus 370, one, 
we don't have all that extra time and labor into raising them for that extra 70 pounds. So there's, there's a cost associated with that, but day in, day out of that sow's lifetime, there's going to be a higher maintenance requirement on that female because of that additional frame size she developed before that first mating. So a lot of extra cost and you have a reduction in total productivity. So getting those animals scaled, getting them weighed, getting a good boar exposure to them at the right size. So you can get an HNS and breed as close to 300 pounds as possible will really maximize your, your profitability for a sow farm. It's a lot of really good information, Brady. You mentioned age earlier, and you may have some producers out there that are saying, well, I, I am always determining our weight based off of age. Shouldn't producers be able to determine weight based off age, or is that something they really should maybe try to avoid? That is a great question, Curtis. And that is the, the first comment that we always get back when we say, what are you doing to determine the, the weight of these females or the size of the females? Well, we're saying they're this age, they're, they're going to be this weight. And, you know, on average, that works. You know, historic farms, they, you know, on average, they can hit those numbers. The problem is it's nature. There's a lot of biological variation that really exists. As you look at from summertime to wintertime, those females just grow at a completely different rate. The other thing is you're going to have a lot of variation as you start looking at one group. So if you're purchasing SEWs compared to matures, this really comes into play. So we did a guilt development project this summer and even taking off the, the bottom 15% of those females, just assuming that from a weight perspective, those are going to be your culls. There's over a hundred pounds of variation from the, the lightest to the heaviest after we remove the culls for, you know, guilt selection standpoint. And so trying to manage a hundred pounds of variation, the exact same, well, you'll end up breeding some in that 260 and some in that 360 breeding the exact same week. That's not something that we want to go ahead and do. So by weighing those females, we can pull those 360s ahead a couple weeks, get them bred. And those ones that are a little bit slower, we can give them more time to develop. Now, yes, this will result in mixing some females, but from a guilt development standpoint, if we have females that aren't cycling, mixing those will help stress them and cause them to potentially cycle. So that can actually be a benefit of some of these additional mixing strategies. And I imagine from site to site, there's differences as well. Huge differences. Uh, so some systems will pull from different GDUs and even from GDU to GDU, we can see two weeks worth of growth differences. Now this could be, you know, maybe one GDU has a, an endemic flu problem uh, where they just always are a little bit behind because of that or stocking density. So the trial we did this summer was on stocking density and you're going to see 20 pounds at a minimum on average difference from a, a lighter versus a tighter stocking density at 24 weeks of age. Uh, and so if you have a GDU that's, you know, just a little overcrowded, all of a sudden now you're giving up a week or two weeks worth of potential growth. If you said, Hey, at 28 weeks of age, they're big enough. Now maybe that GDU needs to go up to 30 weeks of age or Maybe it's the springtime, they're coming out of winter, we're opening up those finishers, get good air, we got good corn, and those gilts are just growing exponentially. Then all of a sudden, maybe we're trying to breed some 26-week-olds. So you really have to be careful just saying, this age is where we mate, because you can have a lot of variation from time to time. The other thing is just obviously stockmanship uh, and that attention to detail that you can see from GDU to GDU that can really come into play. Now, if you're purchasing mature animals at 26 weeks of age, from a genetics company, generally those females are going to be a little bit more consistent from a size perspective uh, within a group. So you don't have that, that variation within an age, but 
you will still have variation from group to group that you purchase based on that growth rate. So just something to kind of kind of keep in mind. So then Brady, what is that variation worth then? Yeah. So we talked about trying to maximize those females that we're breeding at 300 versus, you know, 320 versus 340. What was really interesting is we had a data set where we were able to pull out weight and age independently of each other from a, a data set. And so what we could see was if she's 320 pounds, if it's a 28 week old gilt versus 320 pounds at a 36 week old gilt, they had the exact same P1 total born. This held true if you look at a 340 pound gilt or a 360 pound gilt. So going from 320 to 340 always resulted in a four tenths higher total born, no matter what the age of those females were. Now, once you get above you know, that, the maximum of that age of that, that normal distribution. So in this data set, it was over 36 weeks of age, those slower growing ones, they're going to naturally just have a, a lower total born. So there will be a, a, a top end and a bottom end. But if we're talking about the 80% in the middle, it definitely will hold true that if you go heavier, you're going to get a higher total born, but age, it does not matter. So that's why we say weight over age always is because when people try to use age, it actually isn't accurate enough to give you the data that you need, but weight will always tell you what you need to know. Brady, just listening to you talk about this topic, this, this seems like a heck of a lot of work. How can systems and, and teams, how can, how can producers implement this? That is the number one pushback that we always get is to actually go ahead and one, get a scale. That's a cost. Two, find a place to put that scale. And then three, the labor to move those gilts onto the scale and back to their pens is huge. Uh, that's a huge investment. But if we would look at, so we're, we're tied to Pill and Family Farms. All of the farms with all of the larger sow farms within Pell and Family Farms would have a scale because it's something that we truly believe in. Because we have that scale, we're able to, to go ahead and know the weights on every single gilt. Now, I say every single gilt, but really what this means is once you get somebody that's able to identify the weights accurately, and maybe they're weighing every gilt for a few months, then you can go and we're going to weigh you know, four or five out of this pen, write the weights on the back, put them back in the pen. Then we have an idea of where the distribution is. And if you know the, the kind of the average female in that pen weighs 280, well, everything bigger than that, we can go ahead and start heat checking and we can start making them eligible to start breeding. Anything lower than that, maybe we need to give some additional time. Uh, and so long-term, you don't necessarily have to weigh every single gilt, but you're going to have to weigh a good portion of that population just to make sure that your eye is correct because otherwise it can get off. The other thing that comes up is how do we make this as easy to implement as possible? One, you got to find the, the right location in the barn. So some farms between the GDU and the sow farm, they'll go ahead and get a weight on those, write them on their back, move them into stalls in the gilt development or bore exposure area for their gilts. And then that way they have a weight and then they can say, okay, we're, we're close to 300. If we wait, you know, another 10, we got stall acclimation. If we wait two weeks, will be above 300 pounds. Well, as soon as she cycles after this date, she's eligible to mate. Other farms will, when she cycles, they're going to wait, which can be a little bit more challenging depending on the timing of the day. Because obviously if you identify her in heat, she's not wanting to move. So then you have to come back later, get a weight on her, and then determine if she's going to move into the breed area and breed her bringing boars back. So that can get a little bit more challenging to, to implement. 
but finding the right location, whether that's an alleyway, uh, and then whether it's a, a scale that has walls on it, scale that's just flat on the floor that they can walk across, different options, but the key is to make it implementable and executable by the team members so that it actually gets done. Because nobody wants to buy a scale, put it in the sow barn, and then nobody actually uses it. Right. Um, so it's it's got to be something that is able to be executed on a day-in, day-out basis. Brady, so then to wrap things up, you're on DNA Genetics Technical Services team as part of your role as the multiplication business lead. What are DNA Genetics recommendations in this process? So as we look at our, our guilt development recommendations, if we're looking at breeding a female, we want her to be between 300 and that 350 to 360 threshold. This is going to allow her to, to maximize her productivity while also keeping her in the herd as long as possible. And then we want to do everything we can to get at least one heat no service on that female prior to that point in time. Now, if you're a 330 pound gilt that cycles for the very first time, you need to get her bred. Otherwise, she's going to start to get just too big. But if you can get her to cycle at 300, skip her, you're still breeding her within that window. So that's really the key is to have weights so you can get those animals cycling so you can breed as many as possible between three and 350 with one H&S. Thank you, Brady. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Curtis. Had a great time. We've been talking to Brady McNeil, Multiplication Business Lead with DNA Genetics. As always, for more content like this, you can follow us on social media throughout the week, or you can follow us online at dnaswinegenetics.com. For Inside the Helix, I'm Curtis Harms. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Helix, presented by DNA Genetics. Inside the Helix is released every other Tuesday and is focused on what matters to the swine industry. To catch up on previous episodes, visit us online at dnaswinegenetics.com or find us at your favorite podcast streaming platforms. You can also keep up with DNA Genetics throughout the year by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. For Inside the Helix, I'm Curtis Harms.